0: First, the battle. In this last section of Ephesians, Paul gave this command. Verse 10, Finally, be strong in the Lord. This phrase could also be translated as strengthen yourselves in the Lord. The verb be strong is in the present passive tense. It means we need to keep on being strong. It is a present and an ongoing action. But the passive tense highlights that the strength we need would come from someone else. Again, Chapter 6, verse 10. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in whose strength? In in the strength of God's might. You see, none of us is strong enough to win this battle in our own capacity. We don't have enough power. We need God's strength and God's power for this battle. And Paul encourages all believers to seek strength from the right source, who is God Himself. And this principle applies to efficient believers and to us today. We need to seek strength from the right source. You See, God calls us to rely on Him, and in His mighty power, He desires that we fully depend on Him in His character and in His ability to help us overcome our battles. Now, how can we be strong in the Lord, and how can we be strong in the strength of His might? Verse eleven tells us, "Put on the full armor of God." First, we need to know that this armor is of God, meaning that this is not a human armor; it is a divine and God Himself supplies us with this armor as Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians for though we live in the world we do not wage war as the world does the weapons we fight with are not weapons of the world on the contrary they have they have divine power to demolish strongholds now the word put on here has an idea of wearing something permanently meaning the armor of god is not something to be put on every now and then It is not just a uniform that we wear only during certain occasions and then we remove it when it is no longer needed. No, God's full armor should be our lifelong attire. It should be our lifelong attire. Now why should we always put on the full armor of God? Verse 11 to 12 tells us, so that you will be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. For this is the reason, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers and against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness and against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. Friends, here's the truth that we need to remember. We need God's armor because as followers of Christ, we are in a constant battle. We are in a constant battle. And this armor will provide us with the divine power we need to fight this war. Now, let's further reflect on these two things. Our spiritual battle and our enemy. Our spiritual battle. You see, there are two extremes and two common errors that Christians make when it comes to spiritual warfare. On one extreme, there's an overemphasis of this spiritual reality. You see, some Christians blame almost every sin, every conflict, and problem on Satan. They believe that every crisis is because of demons that needed to be exorcised and cast out. And for others, they might say, when they sin, the devil made me do it. Now, on the other hand, the other extreme is the underemphasis of this is spiritual reality. There are Christians who completely ignore the spiritual realm and dismiss the reality of the battle happening in the spiritual world. But as followers of Jesus, how should we view spiritual warfare? The key is finding the biblical balance. In dealing with spiritual warfare, the key is finding the biblical balance. Balance and we ask God for discernment. Just look at the Gospels. Sometimes Jesus casts out demons to heal people. That's in Mark chapter 1, verses 21 to 27. But other times Jesus healed people without mentioning the involvement of evil spirits. Look at Mark chapter 1, 40 to 45, or John chapter 9. As for the Apostle Paul, he instructed believers to wage war against sin itself in Romans 6. But then at the same time, Paul warned us to stand firm against the schemes of the devil as we see here in Ephesians chapter 6. Again, the point is to find the biblical balance when dealing with spiritual warfare and ask God for discernment. Again, let me emphasize. Yes, we live in a physical world, but there is also the spiritual world. It's a realm that's unseen. Nevertheless, it is as real as this physical world we live in, And there's a war raging on in this invisible world that directly influences our physical world. Now, we also need to realize that those of us who have put our faith in Christ are not only God's children, we are also God's soldiers. Yes, God calls us to be worshippers, comforters, peacemakers, and witnesses. But remember, Christ also calls us to be fighters. Not only we are God's children, but we are also God's soldiers. God soldiers, And when we step into the kingdom of God, we also step into a battlefield. We are to follow Christ in the battle, and there is no exemption. You cannot delay your military service, whether you like it or not. Now, the first essential step in winning this war is to find out who are we fighting? Who's our real enemy? Let's look at this. Verse 11. Verse 11, so that you will be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood. In verse 12, Paul tells us that our battle is not against flesh and blood. Friends, you and I need to understand this. That ultimately, your enemy is not the person next to you. Your enemy is not your husband or your wife. Your enemy is not your children, siblings, or parents. And your enemy is not even the government officials. Your greatest enemy, our greatest enemy, is not the person who drives us crazy or makes life feel, feels like hell for us. You see, our enemy is not human. Ultimately, we have spiritual enemies. Specifically, Paul tells us that our enemy number one is the devil. Why is this? Remember what we've learned back in Ephesians chapter 2. Before, when we were still dead in our sins and disobedient, Satan also worked with the world in our sinful nature. And with these two forces, Satan compels us to walk away from God in rebellion. Before God redeemed us, we were God's enemies. We belong to the kingdom of darkness ruled by Satan. But praise God for His grace and mercy. He called us out of the kingdom of darkness into His kingdom of light. And the result? We are no longer God's enemies. Instead, we are now on God's side. And since we are now on God's side, we have now become Satan's enemy and he has put a target on our backs. This truth should come as no surprise. Why? Because the devil hates God, and the only way he can attack God is by going after us, God's beloved children. And that is why we are now the target of Satan's evil schemes. Now here in verse 11, the Greek word for scheme is the word methodia. It means cleverness, crafty methods. It's deception done in an ordered and systematic way. You see, if our aim as God's people is to praise God and to put God and His glory on display, Satan's aim is exactly the complete opposite. He seeks to discredit God and dishonor Him. Also, Satan aims to destroy us as God's people, and Satan aims to put God to shame. And Paul tells us that the devil and his minions have this systematic method, and they have well-crafted plans and strategies to accomplish their goals. Now in verse 12, the word "struggle" or "wrestle" in other translations it denotes its intense struggle against a strong opposition. And make no mistake, we have a strong enemy, as the Apostle Peter tells us in 1 Peter chapter 5 verse 8. Be of sober spirit, be on the alert. Your adversary or enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. You see, Satan seeks us to eat us alive. The devil is always on the hunt to attack believers. Either individually or corporately, and Satan is planning to destroy the body of Christ as a whole. Now, not only do we have a powerful enemy, what makes it worse is Satan is not working alone. He has his own generals and armies behind him who follow his orders. Look at verse 12 For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against what? Against the rulers the powers or authority against the world forces or cosmic powers of darkness and against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. Most Bible scholars believe that these rulers, authorities, cosmic powers, and spiritual forces refer to the different classes or rankings of demons. That implies that Satan's force of darkness is highly organized and structured. It's similar to how in the army there are rankings—generals, colonels, captains, and foot soldiers. Nonetheless, These four designations of spirit beings represent all the evil spirits as a whole. And the book of Revelation in Revelation 12, 3-4 tells us that one-third of the angels joined Satan or the dragon in his rebellion, meaning Satan's army is no small force. And what's more, these fallen angels and demons are highly experienced. They've been doing their evil work for thousands of years since they rebelled against God. Note also that our enemy, being fallen angels, have superhuman powers. And what makes them more even dangerous is that they are unseen. They are evil spiritual forces in the heavenly places. Now here's the question for us. Should we fear Satan and his demons? Not at all. So what should we do instead of fearing them? Verse 11 tells us, Put on the full armor of God, so that you will be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. Therefore, take up the full armor of God so that you will be able to resist in the evil day and having done everything to stand firm. You see, both Peter and James tell us the same thing also. Be of sober spirit, be on the alert. Your adversary or your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour, but resist resist Satan and standing firm in your faith. And James tells us, Submit therefore to God, resist the devil and he will flee. From you. you see, instead of fearing Satan and his forces, we are to fight against them. How? Paul tells us to fight by standing firm and resisting the devil. Paul tells his readers to stand firm in faith. And how many times? Paul tells us three times to stand firm. To stand firm means to endure, withstand, and hold your ground. Standing firm against the enemy without wavering or falling is the goal. You see, we fight by standing our ground, by not falling or losing faith. And God calls us to fight by resisting and not giving in to temptation. And when we do so, we advance God's kingdom in our lives and in the world. And what would help us to stand firm and resist up to the end? What will help us fight Satan? Again, verse 11 and 13 tells us, Put on the full armor of God, so that you will be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. Therefore, take up the full armor of God, so that you will be able to resist in the evil day. Since our enemies have superhuman powers, we also need superhuman armor and weapons to win against them. So the only way we can win this fight is with God's power and with God's armor. As you can see, Paul repeated our need to use God's full armor. He says, put it on and take it up. Take up is the common word for equipping oneself with a weapon or putting it on. It describes the final step for preparation before the actual battle. Also, the verb take up and all other verbs in this whole passage is in the aorist tense, which means it conveys a sense of urgency of the command. Note that Paul says full armor of God in both commands. It should be complete because partial armor is not enough. If one piece is missing, the armor would not be as effective. You see, we cannot know precisely when or how the enemy will attack us. Therefore, we need to have all of God's armor all the time. Otherwise, we would be exposing ourselves to the deadly weapons of our fierce enemy. Now let's look at this armor closely, the believer's armor for defense. Ephesians 6, 14-17 Stand firm therefore, having girded your loins with truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. In addition to all, taking up the shield of faith, with which you will be able to extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation. As we've learned before, Paul was in prison while writing this letter. Perhaps while he was chained to a Roman soldier, he looked at the soldier's standard armor and was inspired by the Holy Spirit to use it as an analogy of the armor God provides to every believer for our battle with Satan and his fallen angels. The weapons Paul mentioned first are mainly defensive. Their purpose is to equip believers to withstand attack. These armor and weapons are designed to keep us safe against the attacks of the enemy so that we would still be standing up at the end of the day. They protect us from being fallen soldiers. And let's take a look at these defensive weapons in detail. The first, girdle or belt of truth, Ephesians 6.14. Stand firm therefore having girded your loins with truth. A Roman soldier wore a tunic. It's a loose-fitting cloth that serve as a primary clothing. Since ancient combats were mostly hand-to-hand, wearing a loose tunic can hinder movement and cause you to stumble and put you in danger. So a belt was necessary to clinch up and tuck in the loosely hanging material. In the same way, Paul says that the truth is the belt that ties up all spiritual loose ends. And what is this truth? This truth is the word of God. You see, Satan is the father of lies and the master deceiver. And when we listen to his lies, it will cause us to trip Sin and stumbled spiritually. That's what happened to Adam and Eve in Genesis 3. Satan questioned God's word and twisted it. And sadly, Adam and Eve chose to listen to Satan's lies. They rebelled against God and the entire humanity fell into sin. Perhaps some of us are hearing Satan's lies. For example, he says, God does not love you. You've messed up your life and he will no longer forgive you. Do whatever you want in your life. God will forgive you anyway. Or, God is not good because he allows you to suffer. See, God has left you on your own. Now, how do we fight these lies? Here's how. Use the belt of truth, the truth of God's word, to counter Satan's lies. For example, lie number one, God does not love you, and he will no longer forgive you because you've messed up your life. But here's the truth. God demonstrated his love towards us. While we were sinners, Christ died for us. And now there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And God is faithful and righteous to forgive our sins and cleanse us from all our unrighteousness if we confess it to Him. Lie number two. Do whatever you want in your life. Go and enjoy your life in sin. God will forgive you anyway. But here's the truth. The end of the matter is this. All has been heard. Fear God and keep His commands for this is the whole duty of every person for God will bring every deed into judgment and with every secret thing, whether good, Or evil. So this should serve as a warning for all of us. Line number three God is not good because He allows you to suffer and He has left you on your own. But here's the truth God is the God of all comfort who comforts us in our troubles. And Psalm 23 tells us Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you, O Lord, are with me. Again, the point is use the belt of truth, the truth of God's word, to counter Satan's lies. Next, Breastplate of Righteousness, verse 14. Stand firm, having put on the breastplate of righteousness. The breastplate was usually a tough, sleeveless piece of leather or heavy material that covered the soldier's entire torso. The purpose of this breastplate is to protect the soldier's heart and other vital organs. Now, what do we mean by this breastplate of righteousness? What is that righteousness? We can interpret it in two ways. First, many scholars believe that this breastplate of righteousness refers to our positional righteousness in Christ. It is the righteousness that Christ gave us when we become Christians. So we can put on this breastplate of righteousness if we stand in our positional righteousness in Christ. And here's the second meaning. This righteousness could also refer to our practical righteousness. It's the righteousness that we live out daily in obedience to God. And both positional righteousness and practical righteousness fit into this text. Now, how do we live out this practical righteousness? Here's some suggestion. Walk in the light, as Paul tells us. Say no to sin. See and hear no evil. Pursue purity and holiness and the other things that God commands us and that we've learned here in Ephesians. We are to walk in the light, say no to sin, pursue purity and holiness as we live out our practical righteousness. So may God help us. Next, shoes or boots of the gospel verse 15 i like this nlt translation it says for shoes put on the piece that comes from the good news so that you will be fully prepared roman soldiers wore boots with nails in their soles to give them better traction and stability why so that they can stand firm and not sleep during combat and a good pair of shoes will allow a soldier to be ready to march to climb to run and go anywhere But without proper footwear, a soldier's feet can get blistered, cut, or swollen. And when that happens, it would be difficult for him to stand up and fight well, putting him in danger. And by analogy, Christ wants us to have the same readiness as soldiers by wearing this shoe armor. And what do these shoes stand for? It's the gospel of peace. And in this passage, the gospel of peace pertains to the good news that through Christ, believers can now experience peace with God and peace with others. Remember what we've learned in Ephesians 2.14. For he, Christ himself, is our peace, who made both groups into one and broken down the wall or the barrier or the dividing wall of hostility. You see, the gospel gives us new relationships characterized by peace and unity instead of division. You see, the devil is a divider and destroyer of unity. And Satan's agenda and plan is to separate individuals tear families, break marriages, and ruin churches. And he aims to bring this unity. But as God's people, our Lord calls us to fight Satan by always be ready to proclaim and live out the gospel. That brings peace. How do we do that? As we've learned last time in Ephesians 3 and 4, let us diligently persevere towards preserving our unity in Christ within our families, church, and community. How do we do that? Let's walk in humility. Let's walk in service and sacrifice. Exercise tolerance and love with gentleness and patience. Deal with sin issues that bring about false peace and division. And may God help us as we pursue the gospel of peace. Next, the shield of faith. Verse 16. In addition to all, taking up the shield of faith, with which you will be able to extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Roman soldiers used different kinds of shields, but here Paul referred to the large shield about 2.5 feet wide and and 4.5 feet high. It's designed to protect the soldier's entire body, especially from shooting arrows. At times, enemies would use flaming arrows or fiery darts, and these flaming arrows are more destructive because when these arrows land, it will also burn up and destroy their target. So soldiers treated their shields with all that could extinguish the flaming arrows. Now, these flaming arrows refer to the temptations and trials that Satan throw at us. And if we are not careful, we could be easily compromised through immorality, pride, worldliness, greed, worry, envy, and every sort of sin. And there are times when Satan would launch a surprise attack. He will throw these fiery darts at us when we least expect it. Now, how do we use this shield of faith? Here's how. When you're worried, trust in God's promises. Trust in God's promises. Instead of living in fear, start walking by faith because all sin results from failure of acting in faith. Again, sin is a result of failure from acting in faith. As Jesus tells us in Matthew 6, 31-33, do not worry about what we will eat or drink and wear. Why? Because our Heavenly Father knows that we need them. And instead of worrying, God calls us to seek Him first and His kingdom and His righteousness and all the things that we need, God will give us. So let us trust in God's promises instead of worrying. Also, in your suffering, trust in God's goodness. Perhaps you are going through difficulties right now. Difficulties physically, mentally, and emotionally. Maybe you're going through a painful sickness a financial difficulty, or challenges in your relationships. And Satan is tempting you to believe that God is not good and he has abandoned you already. And if you are in that situation, I pray that you will have that conviction to trust and say that God is good, that God is trustworthy. And may you be like Job who trusted God amidst his suffering by saying this. Job 19. I am nothing but skin and bones. I have escaped only by the skin of my teeth. Have pity on me, my friends. Have pity, for the hand of God has struck me. Why do you pursue me as God does? Will you never get enough of my flesh? I know my Redeemer lives, and that in the end, He will stand on the earth. And after my skin has been destroyed, yet in my flesh, I will see God. May we have the faith of Job that our Redeemer lives. Next, the armor or... The helmet of salvation. Verse 17. And take the helmet of salvation. The helmet protected the head, which is always a significant target in battle. Paul here connected the helmet to salvation. It means that Satan would seek to attack a Christian's belief and mindset about his security in Christ or her assurance of salvation. And that is why we need to wear this armor to protect our minds because what we believe impacts how we view God and how we behave. Again, let me repeat that. What we believe impacts how we view God and how we behave towards Him in our circumstances. And how do we take the helmet of salvation? First, let us constantly fill our mind with God's truth and let us remind ourselves of our security in God's love, as Romans 8 tells us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created things will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Also, let us not forget our identity in Christ, as we've learned in Ephesians 1. God the Father has chosen and adopted us. God the Son redeemed and united us. And God the Spirit has sealed us and secured our eternal inheritance. And I encourage you to review all the lessons that we've learned in Ephesians Again, here's the point. Let's take the helmet of salvation by constantly filling our minds with God's truth and not forgetting our identity in Christ. At this point, let me add this note to our study. The imagery of the armor of God in Ephesians comes from Isaiah chapters 52 and 59. Let's look at these verses. How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news, who publishes peace, who brings good news of happiness, who publishes salvation, who says to Zion, your God reigns, He put on righteousness as breastplate and a helmet of salvation on his head. He put on garments of vengeance for clothing and wrapped himself in seal as a cloak. According to their deeds, so will he repay wrath to his adversaries, repayment to his enemies, and to the coastlands he will render repayment. In the Old Testament book of Isaiah, God is working out his salvation to overcome injustice connected explicitly to Israel's exile. And God himself comes down as a warrior and redeemer God who executes, His justice against the enemies of Israel. And here in the New Testament in Ephesians, God continues His work of salvation, of reclaiming and redeeming the world for Himself. And God is executing this plan in Christ and demonstrating it through His body, the Church, the body of Christ, as each of us believers takes on the full armor of God. Now let's go to our third point, the weapons for offense. First, the sword of the Spirit, the sword of the Spirit. Ephesians 6, verse 17. And take the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. The writer of Hebrews also affirmed this truth. Hebrews four, twelve, For the Word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning through the thoughts and intentions of the heart. The sword referred here was the standard sword carried by Roman foot soldiers and was the principal weapon in hand-to-hand combat. Paul says that this sword of the Spirit refers to the Word of God. Now think about it. Of all the armor that Paul mentioned, God's Word is the only one useful for both defense and offense. Let me repeat that. God's Word is useful for both defense and offense. Now here's the question for us. Do you know how to use the sword of the spirit? How skillful are you in wielding the sword of God's word? And here's another critical question. Do you train and practice using it before facing your enemy? Think about it. Kung fu masters train and practice with their weapons before the fight. Why? So that during actual battles, they could effectively use their weapons and defeat their opponent. Again, the question for us Do you know how to use the sword of the Spirit? And do you train and practice it before facing the enemy? May God help us. Now let me give you some practical applications on how to use the sword of God's Word. First, before facing the enemy, practice and train using it. How? Read and study God's Word. Meditate and memorize and apply it daily in your life. Saturate your mind and heart with the Word of God. Also, don't train yourself alone. Find a sparring partner as you practice. And having a partner or an accountability group will help you sharpen your skills. And how about during battles? During a fight with Satan, use the sword of God, the sword of the Spirit, by quoting scriptures. Remind yourself of God's truth and his promises to repel Satan's lies. Jesus did the same thing when Satan tempted him in the wilderness. To fight Satan's accusation, temptation, and deception, Jesus quoted God's word. Three times Satan tempted Jesus, and for each time Jesus said, it is written in the word of God, and Jesus cited the truth of scriptures. Also, use the sword of the Spirit by praying scriptures, or praying God's word. Simply use God's word as you pray. Use the Psalms and pray to God when you are distressed and discouraged because of your pain sickness, and suffering. Use the Psalms and pray it to God. And when you face difficulties and challenges, whether it's in your marriage, your relationship, your work, or studies, look for the prayers of godly men and women in the Bible. Pray to God the prayers of Miriam and Hannah or the prayers of Mary and Elizabeth. Pray to God the prayers of Jacob, of David, of Daniel and Nehemiah. Pray to God the prayers of Peter, Stephen, and Paul. And this importance of prayer brings us to our last point, prayer. The final weapon is prayer, if it's to be considered as one. Verse 18 to 20 tells us, With all prayer and petition, pray at all times in the Spirit. With this in view, be on the alert with all perseverance and petition for all the saints. You see, verse 18 is sometimes taken as a continuation of the complete armor of the previous passage, as though all prayer is itself part of the armor. And I like what Bible scholar N.T. Wright said, The point of prayer is, rather, it accomplishes things that we couldn't do by our own effort, organization, or skill. Prayer remains mysterious at one level, and nobody quite knows how it works, and its not knowing seems to be part of it, but it remains a deeply practical thing to do. And it is interesting to note that Paul began the letter of Ephesians with an extended prayer. Then he gave an extensive report of his own prayers for the young Christians in Ephesus. And now Paul finishes it with an urgent request that they might join him in this ministry of prayer. Now what is prayer? Prayer is our line of communication to God. You see, during a battle, one main objective of the enemy is to jam the signal and cut off the communication lines between the soldiers and their commanders why to disrupt coordination and create confusion so dear friends as we fight our battles we need to make sure that this line is open so we can get clear guidance and direction from our god how pray at all times pray at all times when you're tempted to get angry at your spouse or your child or parent or your boss take up the weapon of prayer instead pray for them and pray for yourself And as we face the challenges of this pandemic, pray not only for yourself and your family. Let's also pray for our government. And let us pray for other believers. Let us intercede for other Christians in our local church. Let's also pray for other churches in other cities and other countries. Now let's continue. Again, verse 18 tells us, With all prayer and petition, pray at all times in the Spirit. And with this in view, be on the alert with perseverance and petition for all the saints. This verse introduces the general character of the believer's prayer life. Let's look at it one by one. Prayer and supplication focuses on variety. It says all prayer and supplication. The word always focuses on frequency. The term in the spirit focuses on submission to the will of God. And being watchful or being alert focuses on the manner of prayer. The fifth is all perseverance. It focuses on the persistence of of prayer, because prayer is hard work. And six, all saints focuses on the object of prayer. You see, this is the general characteristic of a believer's prayer life. And I pray that you would um, do your best to study more of this and apply this in our prayer life. Again, the point is to pray at all times because we are in a constant battle. And it's amazing to think that even our Lord Jesus himself taught his apostles how to pray and He included this request in the prayer. Our Lord Jesus said, And don't let us yield to temptation, but rescue us from the evil one. You see, Jesus invites us to pray for spiritual protection in light of the spiritual warfare we are in. But aside from spiritual protection, what else should we pray for? Let's look at Paul, verses 19-20. to And pray on my behalf that utterance may be given to me in the opening of my mouth to make known with boldness the mystery of the gospel for which i am an ambassador in chains that in proclaiming that i may speak boldly as i ought to speak it's interesting to note that paul did not ask for prayer for his personal well-being or physical comfort while he is in prison instead paul prayed for boldness and faithfulness to what to continue proclaiming the gospel to the unsaved no matter what the cost so the example Of our Lord Jesus and the Apostle Paul teaches us this principle. As we fight our spiritual battles, pray for God's protection to rescue us from evil. Also, pray for boldness, courage, and faithfulness to fight and stand firm until the end. So may God help us. At this point, let's review and summarize what we've covered. As believers, let us put on the whole armor of God because we are in a constant spiritual battle. We have a strong enemy, but we can rely on God's power and strength to empower and strengthen us. And as for the full armor of God, let us use the belt of truth to counter Satan's lie. Let us put on the breastplate of righteousness. Let's remind ourselves of our positional righteousness in Christ and pursue practical righteousness by walking in the light, saying no to sin, and pursuing purity and living in holiness. Also, Let us be fitted with the readiness to proclaim the gospel. Let us preach the good news that God's offer of peace. And let us diligently persevere to preserve the unity of Christ within our families, our church, and communities. Let us practice tolerance and love, gentleness, patience, and humility. Also, let's take up the shield of faith by trusting God in His promises, trusting and believing His goodness. Let us also wear the helmet of salvation. Remind ourselves of our identity in Christ. Let's remind ourselves of our security in God's salvation and as we renew our mind with God's Word. And seven, let us use the sword of the Spirit by quoting and praying scriptures. Remember, the sword of God's Word is the only weapon that is useful for both defense and offense. Let us pray for God's protection as we fight our enemies and let us pray. Also for boldness, courage, and faithfulness to fight and stand firm until the end. So dear brothers and sisters, let us remember this. To stand firm against Satan's attacks, rely on God's power, put on the full armor of God, and fight with the sword of God's word and prayer. Let us stand firm against Satan's attacks as we rely on God's power by putting on the full armor of God and fight with the sword of God's word and prayer. Shall we pray? Dear Lord, thank you for the beautiful message through the Apostle Paul, reminding us that we are in a spiritual battle, that we are always fighting against the forces of darkness. But we thank you that we are now your children and we belong to your kingdom, and we are not alone in this fight. Thank you also, O God, for the strength that you are giving us. Help us to appropriate the resources that you have provided to put on the full armor of God. Help us to review the things that we need to learn. Help us to understand the things that we need uh, to apply in our lives. And as we continue to face our challenges ahead of us, would you please grant us faith? Help us to believe. Help us to know your goodness. Help us to understand your love. For those of us who are discouraged and uh, weary, renew us, O oh God. Help us, Lord, to come to you, to find rest in your presence, to find rest in your love in your promises, in your faithfulness. Enable us, O God, to taste your goodness. For those of us who are sick, grant us your healing. Make us whole. Help us, Lord God, to experience your wholeness. Help us to recover and give us opportunities, Lord God, to declare your faithfulness through your healing. And Father, for those of us who are going through suffering and pain, help us to understand your purpose in this. And in everything, more importantly, mold us to be like Christ. In humble submission, in surrender, in full trust in your goodness and faithfulness. And Father, as a country, we ask that you help us. Help us to face this pandemic uh, with wisdom, with discernment, with courage, with with clarity. And enable us to move forward. And as we continue to, to walk by faith and not by sight, help us not to be distracted, help us to always be prepared to fight against the schemes of Satan. Father in everything, we just want to ask for your forgiveness because many times we have not taken this spiritual warfare seriously. Forgive us, O oh God, and help us, Lord, to live with that sensitivity and help us to live with that uh, spirit of discernment so that we can fully obey you in every way. Lord, we continue to ask that you grant us your presence, Give us your peace. And everything, may you alone be glorified and honored in our lives. Now, as you bow your heads, let me bless you with this benediction. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly beyond all that we ask or think, according to the power that works within us, to him be the glory in the Church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen and amen.